Oh, what a month. What a month in every single way of the word. Um, so much to say, but I just will say this. At least for 715, you know, we had the last four weeks, if you're new with us, doing a series called Voices of Grace, where we just asked some of the formative voices of Grace Covenant Church over the years to come and to really just, I said, just give us wisdom. What are the things that the generation that's here now needs to know from the generation that started this thing? What are the truths and the foundations and the principles that have to stick and have to remain? And, um, and boy, that, I thought that was a message, for, like a series for us, but that was a series for me. <laughs> um, I felt like I just sat pinned back to that chair week after week going like, oh, you, just, you were just speaking to me tonight. You didn't come for anybody else. You just are telling me what I need to do in this, in this position. Um, and I'm grateful for it. It took me back um, in so many ways. You know, Pastor Duke, um, I mean, he's like my pastor, pastor. Like he discipled me. He did premarital prep with my wife and I. Like we're going back 10, 12 years. He did my membership classes back in the day. And hearing him preach on the name of Grace Covenant Church, the overwhelming sense of nostalgia I felt, like it transported me back in time to when I had just started coming to Grace. And I was an open book and I was listening to the messages and the teachings. And I was going, I've read my Bible my whole life. I never heard any of this stuff. What version are you reading? Where are you getting this from? You're blowing my mind. And he's talking about covenant and a commitment in relationship that supersedes whether we get along or whether we like each other. It's that we are covenantally connected. And that, that's above community. And I'm like, but I love community. I'm all about community, Pastor. No, there's a, there's a deeper truth in scripture to be found. And it just took me back to the place where I was being formed and being shaped and being written on day after day, week after week by these amazing men, their wives, counseling me, forming me. And my prayer, I think, is just that you have voices like that in your life now. If you don't have voices like that in your life now, you need to find some and get some because a decade from now, you can be the same as you are or you can be radically transformed towards the image of Christ. And my prayer is that there are voices that speak the word of God to you, that mold you and shape you day after day, week after week. Now, Pastor Jim, Pastor Brett have written on my life like iron sharpening iron. I think it's giving myself too much credit to call me iron, but they were sharpening me, not just in the pulpit ministry, but in phone calls and texts and meetings and helping me grow into who I am today. And this series is just intended to do that. What are the things we have to hold on to and hang on to? And I pray that you're marked by it. I know that I was. I pray that there are voices in your life now that speak to you in this way. And I think what I just hope to do today is to put a period on this by kind of looking at or answering the question, what do we do now? What do we do with what we've been given? What deposit has been made in our souls and in our church, wisdom from a generation that, that formed and shaped us, we've received it. Now what do we do with it? What do we do with what we've been made into? And I want to look at Paul's letter to Timothy, his second letter to Timothy. Uh, you can just turn to 2 Timothy. We're going to be in uh, chapter 1. And Paul, um, this is a letter he writes at the very end of his life. He writes it from prison, and he writes it to Timothy, a young man, uh, the second generation, if you would, a guy who's going to carry on the ministry of Paul to Paul's primary disciple. This is a father-son relationship. This is a mentor to a disciple, to a disciple. Yeah, to a disciple, discipler, to a disciple relationship, 
written at the end of Paul's life, and he's writing to impart some wisdom and to empower Timothy and to help him. Um, and, you know, Paul's whole, whole message of discipleship is, is, is imitate me as I imitate Christ. And, and that's his method of discipleship. Look to me as I follow Christ and just do what I do as I follow him. You want to know what it looks like to be a disciple? Just find somebody there and do what they do and keep doing it and you'll keep growing. Let me just, I just will add this. Discipleship, um, I didn't have the choice to take Pastor Duke's words as suggestions to me, if you understand what I'm saying. Okay, I was not going to Pastor Duke for counsel. I was going for wisdom. Teach me, tell me, answer the questions, give me direction. And he gave, these men gave all of them in different ways over the course of my life, wisdom to build my life on. Not kind suggestions, not advice, wisdom to build my life on. And when I took them at their word, my life was built in the direction of Jesus. And when I disobeyed, I learned why it was wisdom to build my life on and not a mere suggestion. Okay, I just have to say that because some of us, we go like, well, pastor, what should I do? Do this. Uh, mm, I don't really want to. Okay, I'll see you in six months. 1 Timothy 1. Is that too real? Okay, okay, that was okay, okay. Our chief discipler, J.C. Shiraz, said it's good, so it's good. 1 Timothy 1, we're going to read a handful of verses, and then we're going to talk about the Bible. Uh, starting in uh, verse 6. 1 Timothy 1, uh, verse 6, and we're going to read all the way down to verse uh, 14. Paul writing to Timothy. For this reason... I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Verse 8, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purposes and grace. Grace which he gave to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Verse 13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Father, help us tonight to hear your heart for us, your wisdom for us, your truth for us. Mold us, form us, and shape us into your image, Lord, we pray. Holy Spirit, come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. I've shared this story before, but when I was, I grew up in a sports family. My dad was a basketball coach. He coached at the uh, Chantilly High School, actually, for a number of years. Back in the day, my brothers all played. Um, and so I grew up going to basketball camps and doing the whole thing. Um, and when I learned, when I was learning, when I was a, at, a, at a young age, uh, how to shoot a jump shot, I was given this acronym called BEEF, BEEF. 
B-E-E-F. Stands for balance, elbow, not here, but here, extension, and then hit him with that MJ follow-through. If you don't follow through, don't even look at the ball. You're not hitting it. You got to follow through and you got to leave it up for a second, right? Beef, balance, elbow, extension, follow through. Day after day, balance, elbow, extension, follow through. Balance, elbow, extension, follow through. That's all I would do day after day after day. That's why they call me J.J. Reddick. (laughs) Only a few people know who he is. That's okay. And nobody ever called me that. I got cut from the high school team. Let's just be honest. In church, let's just tell the truth. Somebody came up to me and they said, you still play ball? You still good at ball? And I said, I don't know that I was ever good at ball. Where did you get that from? But thank you. Yes, I do. And I am. Balance, elbow, extension, follow through. That was the pattern. If I could do that, I knew I could hit the shot. Title of the message tonight is follow the pattern. Follow the pattern. Hit the shot. Just follow the pattern. Paul lays out for us a clear pattern. Fan the flame. Fight the fear. Don't be ashamed. Rinse and repeat. Balance, elbow, extension, follow through. You're going to hit the shot. What do we do? We fan the flame. If you've ever read The Power of Habit, phenomenal book, great business, leadership, mindset book. Um, It's one of the first books I read as a random story. First books I read after I accepted the call to ministry. I felt like this book was going to be formative for me because I knew if I and we could build new habits, we would grow in God greater than any other way. Because how many of us, don't raise your hand, how many of us have a hard time reading our Bible every day? None of you. Exactly right. Thank you. We got some honest folks in the house. I appreciate that. But why? Because you have to build a habit of it. You have to build a rhythm of it. And what your body does as a biological instinct is it, is it tends towards cons- the conservation of energy. And so what it does is it builds habit loops out of behaviors you do every day. And so you don't have to consciously think about the things you do. It's a survival instinct. Your body is trying to help you not have to labor over everything that you do, like brushing your teeth, washing your face, making your breakfast. There's hundreds of things you do every day on autopilot. It's your mind trying to help you, trying to build habits, trying to conserve energy. We've talked about this too. It's why you come to realize where you are in the car all of a sudden. You've been driving and you forgot you were driving and then you kind of came awake. Not that you were asleep, but you were just on autopilot. And this is why getting up and going to the gym when you're not in the practice is hard because your body is going, no, I want to conserve energy. I don't want to get up and expend energy. That, that, that's a, no, we're going to stay in this warm bed is what we're going to do. That's why you'd rather order in rather than cook when it comes to the end of the day. Hello? Because you go, I don't want to, I don't want to expend all the energy. It's easier. I got DoorDash, bing, 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 and it shows up, right? This is your body trying to help you. Um, and this is the same thing that's true of our spiritual lives as well. If we don't constantly refuel and refill our vision that, that God has for us and has for our lives, we will drift and tend towards apathy. We will get in the rhythm of attending church as a habit. It will become our social club, a place, a thing that we do, a place that we are, our Sunday habit. And it loses the power and the authority to shape us and form us over time. So we have to constantly be replenishing the vision that God has for us and for our lives because vision leaks. It doesn't stick. We didn't say 40 years ago, we're going to win the city. And everyone was like, got it. Don't say it again. We know. No, we had to say it time and time and time and time and time again because vision leaks. 
And if we don't cast vision, church becomes going like, well, I don't really like that song because my vision is set on me now. My, my, my draw has gone from the things of God back to the things of man, and church becomes about the thing that serves me. And then we got to go, no, 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 no. Church doesn't exist for you. You are the church. You exist for the world. This service is not for you. Service is for Jesus. We're going to worship him. We're not worshiping you. We're worshiping him. Oh, yeah, that, 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 that's right. That's right. My eyes are up. My eyes are up. Because vision, vision leaks. You don't just decide January 1, this is a year of health, and then you don't have to tell yourself that again. That's how you get to January 14th, and you're finished with your you know, New Year's resolutions and all that, and the gyms empty out again. You have to recast vision time and time and time again because vision leaks over time. We're on fire now for the next 40. We've been talking about it for eight months. You better be on fire for the next 40. My goodness. I said, listen, for every week until September 25th, all we're talking about is the 40th until we're sick of hearing about it. So everybody can be on the same page about it. But let me ask you this. In year 42, in year 47, in year 53, are you going to still be on fire for the next 40? Or have you moved on to the next thing? And does vision begin? It begins to leak. But this is why it requires a daily commitment to recasting vision to yourself. And the practice for you today is not to rely on Telus or me or somebody to cast vision down at you. But every day you got to wake up and go, I am living my life for God. Not because it's easy, but because it's right. I'm practicing self-control, not because it's fun, but because it worships God. My life is not my own. I am a living sacrifice given on the altar to my God. So it's not about what serves me. It's about what serves him. I'm not living for my pleasure. I'm living for his glory. Every day I'm going to wake up and say, why am I breathing? I have a purpose. It's not satisfying the flesh. It's honoring my God. Every day we have to refill ourselves with the vision, which is, by the way, why you got to read your Bible every day because that's where the vision comes from. we got to fan the flame. You know, you can start a fire with all the fuel, all the logs, all the kindling that you want, and just let it sit, and in two or three hours it will be burned out with plenty of good wood still left unburned. Isn't that weird? It's got all the fuel it needs, plenty of logs on the fire, and yet the fire will go out. So some of us in our spiritual lives, you might have all the fuel that you need, great church, good friends, great small group, but a fire cannot be left alone and be expected to turn into a burning blaze. A fire's got to be stirred up. A fire's got to be stoked. Your faith has to be stirred up at some point in your life. Why do we come up here and shout and stamp our feet and shout to our God and worship him? Because we got to get stirred up sometimes. Because if we allow ourselves to fall asleep at the wheel, we're just going to lean towards apathy and laziness and meaninglessness and just whatever's comfortable. But sometimes you got to stir your faith up, stoke the flames in a fire that is well tended that burns brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter a fire that's well fueled and well stoked and well taken care of is a fire that other people see and other people feel the heat off it come on grace covenant church we're a fire people need to see they need to feel the heat of the glory of god on this place paul says take that gift fan it into flame the fire don't fan itself it takes work and an active intentionality to fan it so that it can burn and be what it is. I'm not trying to burn up just for a little bit. 
I'm trying to be a steady burn, man. 40 years is a long time, y'all. I'm trying to be on fire every day for the next. And if we don't, what happens is then our gifts begin to go dormant. Because what's true of vision is true of gifts as well. Gifts don't have to be used. Just because you have them doesn't mean you use them. It's the whole, old, whole thing, right? If you don't use it, you lose it. So you might have a teaching gift. You might have a gift of helping, a gift of encouragement. You might have a gift that helps you, that you just have a grace for working with kids, mentoring youth. Maybe you have a visual eye. I don't know, but you have something. You have a gift. I can promise you that. I am not worried about whether you have a gift or not. I know some of you sitting there go, I don't think I have a gift. Listen, you have a gift. You have a gift. You just, this is my wife. I don't know what I'm good at. But I said, I'll tell you 15 things right now you're good at. What are you talking about? So I know, I just say that because I know some people are like, I don't think I have any gifts. I'm trying to think about you. God did not make you without a purpose. He did not do that. That does not resonate with his character. You have a purpose, you have a gift, you have a calling. It is unique to you. It is different from me. And God made you for that purpose. But if you don't use your gift, it will go dormant. My wife got me this video game chair. It's the worst gift I've ever gotten in my life. We talk about it. It's like 15 years ago, so it's, well, we can talk about it. Um, I don't know, man. She was trying hard. She was like thinking, you know, creatively. And I got this big old box. Would you get excited about it? You're like, Ooh, a big box. I can't wait to see. And you kind of like rip it open. And you're like, oh, I love it. Thank you so much. And this, I never, it never came out of the box. And I never took it out of the box, and I moved apartments, and I, I took it with me, and I never used it. I never set it up. I don't know where it is to this day. At some point in some move along the way, it kind of, um, I, don't, I really don't know. I was actually thinking about it as I wrote this. I, why did it happen to that? I think I just left it with some roommate or somebody at some point in time. <laughs> you can have a gift that you don't use. You just carry it from place to place to place. And an unused gift becomes a burden on your soul because all it does is occupy space in your life. All it does is, is create weight that you got to carry and it burdens you down because, listen, God gave you that purpose, that calling, that gift for a reason. When you neglect it, bury it, or say, it's not good enough, God, I don't want that one, you are operating outside of your purpose. When you operate outside of your purpose, your soul begins to get heavy and you get, begin to get weighed down because God said, that's what I need you to do. That's where I need you. I made you for that. You go, I don't want to do that. Then what do you want to do? I just want to be something different. I don't know, God. He said, be what I called you to be. I've given you a gift. Don't let it go dormant. Don't let it die. Fan it into flame. Remember that what you have is a gift from God. It is a, even if it's all you've got right now is my salvation. If all you know is Jesus saved me by his blood on a cross, that's all I know. That is a gift from God. Fan that into flame. Don't let that die with you like that's not good enough. It's the greatest gift you'll ever get. But on top of that, 
Your God is so generous, so kind, so merciful. He says, I'm going to give you purpose, calling, and ability. I'm going to put you in a place where people can hone your gifts, make you into something greater than you ever thought you could be, and you will do things for me and my kingdom you never believed you could do. He doesn't have to do that, but he does it. That gift, don't look at it. Don't admire it. Don't go, oh, but thank you for this. This is one. Don't put it on the shelf. Fan it into flame. A good gift gets used. You don't buy a gift for somebody. They say, thank you, put it on the shelf and never use it. And they say, you say, good gift? You never use it. You've got to use the gift God has given you. Paul says, fan this into flame. There is purpose on your life that will not come to life unless you do something about it. You cannot just sit there and watch it unfold before you. You cannot take the deposit that has been entrusted to you and bury it. I know a parable about somebody who did that. And the master took everything he gave him and gave it to somebody who was faithful with what he had been given. Let not God find us unfaithful with the good gifts that he's given us, lest he take something from us that, that he intended for us to have and to use for his glorious purposes. You know, you got to remember your why if you want to fan your gift into flame. you got to refill your vision every day. Listen, there are lost, hurting, and broken people out there and in here that God can redeem, restore, and heal. I know that. I have seen that. And my heart breaks for them. All I want is for them to see Jesus the way that I have seen Jesus. That gets me out of bed every morning. If I can use the little God has given me and faithfully steward it the best I can, maybe somebody will experience Jesus the way that I've experienced him. That's why I do what I do. That's why, I, because there are marriages that could be so good that are so bad. And if they had Jesus and some humility and some understanding of what scripture and J.C. Sherrod to disciple them, They could experience the things that I've experienced in my life. You've got to remember your why. I've got to get off this point. Um, follow the pattern. Fan the flame. Fan the flame. And then Paul says, fight the fear. I actually don't like to say, the Bible says, do not fear or do not be afraid. I think it's like 357 times. One time for every day of the year and the leap year. Here's your fun fact. Pastor Corey will correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I think that's right. And I don't, I don't like, i just be honest, I don't like the, uh, the command, do not fear. Because I don't always feel like I have control over whether I feel fear or not. Fear sometimes just comes and just rises up within me. And I go, well, am I, man, am I sinning? Am I falling short? That's not the point. The point is, I like the phrase better, fight the fear. Fear is going to come. That doesn't mean anything about you. That's how the devil operates. He operates in fear and some other things. So fear is going to come. What matters is how you respond to it. What do you do when it appears? We all have fears. Fear of failing, fear of rejection, feeling fear of not good, being good enough, fear of conflict. I mean, we all have fears. That's common to all of us. But what's not common is we all don't respond the same way. Fear, here's the thing. 
I find it helpful to kind of dissect what is actually going on. Here's the thing about fear. Fear presents you with potential truths, things that might happen, things that could happen, okay? Fear presents you with a potential truth about what might happen. I, if I, if I confront my spouse or if I confront my friend or my coworker about this issue, they might lash out, they might yell at me, they might say some things, I might damage the relationship, therefore I have a fear of conflict. If I ask this person to get some coffee and maybe to sit with me at 7.15, which I think is a great date night, they might say no. I haven't dated in like 15 years, don't trust me. I don't know what I'm talking about. I know the way most of y'all do it now is wrong, but that's all I'll say. Um, Okay. All the single people in the front said, hey. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, I lost my point. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. They might say, no, you might get rejected. I have a fear of rejection. I don't want to be, re- I don't want to feel that way. If they respond, I might feel rejected. If I don't succeed, if I don't get perfect marks, if I don't get the promotion, they might not think I'm good enough. They might think less of me. I have a fear of failure. All of those are contingent on what might happen. If a person says, if it doesn't go well, if that plays out like this, then this might happen. Fear presents you with potential truths, and we get locked in on potential truths. So what do you do when you're confronted with a potential truth? You fight it with an absolute truth. You fight it with an absolute truth, something that is absolutely true absolutely all of the time. And where do we derive absolute truths from? but the one absolute God and his one absolute word. There are truths that are true all of the time, no matter how you feel, what you think, or how it might go. It's not about what it could be or what it might be. It's what it is. So when confronted with a potential truth, you speak an absolute truth. And what's absolutely true is God did not give you a spirit of fear. That's not what he gave you. It's not from him. So when fear comes and you go, what is is it? What you can know for sure is my God did not put that within me. I know that to be absolutely true. And you stand on the word of God for what is not what might be. Fear is a choice to believe what might happen over what is. And we give into it all the time because we're afraid of the what ifs and the maybe could be's and the might have should have would have. So what's, what's true about our future? Will it be hard? Winning the city? Planting churches? Yeah. Will there be challenges all along the way we didn't expect? Absolutely. Will there be spiritual warfare? Yes. Political warfare? Maybe. All kinds of stuff that we don't anticipate and plan for? Yes. Will it require more of you than you can prepare for now? Absolutely. But you don't have to be afraid of that. The mature Christian can hold intention that things are hard and I don't have to fear them. That's a big difference, okay? That's a big difference. When you go, there is resistance, there is tension, there is difficulty, but I don't have to be afraid of it. Somebody said, but God, don't make me. Come on Sunday, we won't get back into but God. My Lord, my Lord. Here's the thing. 
the word that Paul is using here for the word fear, when he says, God did not give you a spirit of fear, is a word associated uh, to one who flees from battle. It has the associations of cowardice. Somebody hiding and retreating and withdrawing. And let me just tell you this. We do not run from battle. Man, this makes me feel like the spirit of Mark Cock is on my life. There are principalities and powers. There is resistance and opposition, absolutely. But me and Jesus, oh, we make a majority. And that's all I need to know about everything I've been told. So I'm not going to run from the battle. I'm going to remember the one who fights with me and fights for me. I'm not a coward. My God did not give me a spirit of fear, but of power. Power over the opposition of this world. Power, supernatural, God-given by the grace of the Holy Spirit. Power over my life. He's given me power. He has given me love for the lost and the hurting and the broken and brotherly love for all of you. That when we have conflict, when we have tension, when we don't agree, when things rub up against each other in this space, there's a love and a unity that binds us beyond, do I agree with you or am I comfortable with the way you're speaking with me or, or whatever it might be. Underneath it all, there is a love. I was having a conversation with my mom. We were disagreeing about some, some, about some stuff as only a son and a mother can disagree. And we're going back and forth and doing the whole thing and all that stuff. And my mom was like, I hope this does it. You know, I hope we're not. I said, mom, are you kidding me? I love you. Nothing comes between this. We're just jawing and talking and, and, and sh- you know, and all of that. I want you to know that's not, I don't feel that just for my mom. I feel that for us. I want us to feel that for us. That there is a love that God has given us for one another that binds us together beyond just whether we like the environment or the vibes, whether all our needs are met. They won't all be met. God has given you power. He has given you love. And he has given you self-control to resist from giving in to what's easy, from falling by the wayside, to turning away from him by giving in to hurt, by obsessing over your need. You go, I have self-control. It's a gift of the, it's a a fruit of the spirit of God. I have self-control that I don't need to give in to fear. I don't need to give in to resistance. I don't need to give in to apathy. I will be controlled. I will recite the word of scripture over my life I will be in control of my thoughts and my mindsets and my attitudes and the words I speak to others and the words I speak to myself. God has given you self-control. He did not give you fear. He gave you the ability to have control over yourself. So when you are battling the raging waves of fear in your life, as I know so many of us do, just constantly afraid about what might happen. I want you to remember the Lord your God has given you power. He has rooted you in love and he affords you self-control. And you can breathe deep on that and you can release that and you can choose not to respond about what might be true but about what absolutely always is true. Fan the flame, fight the fear, and do not be ashamed of the gospel. In 2016, my wife and I led a missions trip to Scotland. We were really excited about it. Um, Great team and a great trip. 
And as you do before you go on any missions trip, you kind of study the landscape of the culture and the climate, where they are in their receptivity to the gospel and all these things. And most of Europe um, is all classified as post-Christian. So they're beyond the idea of Christianity and most religion in general. And very much so, the climate in those spaces, and we were on Edinburgh University's campus, so a great university there. We were going to go God test people and just street evangelize in that space. I mean, God even gave us a word that the ground is going to be hard there. And the church that's there has been sowing seeds and for years trying to labor, and they've got a small group of people, and that's a huge accomplishment, that they've got anybody in that environment, an academic, post-Christian, European nation. And the sense is not just we reject the gospel. The sense is kind of like, oh, you believe in God? Aren't you cute? That's so sweet for you. You must not be very smart. Legitimately. Like you are less than if you would be so foolish to believe in a divine God. It's less than. Now here's the thing. I know I'm not the smartest person in the room, but I also know I'm not the dumbest person in the room. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I wondered how that would go over. <laughs> Are you saying I'm dumb? No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I think I'm pretty smart. I've studied my apologetics. I've got a defense for the gospel. I don't like the idea of being thought of as I'm dumb for believing in the Bible and believing in my God. But the environment we're living in now in America, many pockets of the United States already are already there. That if you have faith at all, let's talk about D.C., we're going to win. Have you all been to D.C. and, and met with people and talked with people in that environment? Oh, man, it's, it's so, many, so much of that is post-Christian. You're beyond, it's like it's not even a thought. Like that thought is so dismissed. And there's this sense that we can pick up then as believers that in here we're proud of the gospel, but out there we just kind of get you know, something I do on the side, you know. Yeah, now I got plans this weekend. You know, we got a little you know, picnic with some friends. No, I can't Sunday night. We have a, I've got a thing Sunday night. It's downtown. Yeah, no, we're going downtown Sunday night. Yeah, it's going to be cool. It's going to be vibe. Yeah, for sure. What is it? Nah, you wouldn't know. It's a little. It's a place. You know what I mean? Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Why are we embarrassed? Why are we ashamed of the gospel? Why we act like church ain't the place where you get the most life out of your week? Why you act like church ain't filled with the best people you know? Why are we ashamed? Why are we embarrassed? Why do we hide from that? Why don't we invite people to church? Why do we have such a hard time explaining what a small group is to a coworker? Now, I just, I, Thursday nights we hang out. Some people come over, we eat dinner. I don't know what to tell you. We need to reflect. We need to think about it because you get caught in that tide very quickly. You All of a sudden, you find yourself borderline denying the gospel. I'm not kidding, you guys. It's a slippery slope. Paul says, do not be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus. What is the testimony of Jesus? That, that Jesus, that God in Jesus became man to do for man what man could not do for himself. It's the testimony of Jesus. What is your testimony? Our testimony is, I am not enough. The testimony of Jesus is, he is enough. He gives more than enough. He gives me everything that I need. He's healed me. He's redeemed me. He's reconciled my relationships. He's given me vision for my life, purpose for my life. 
He's let my past go. He's released me from guilt and shame. I'm supposed to be embarrassed about that? This is why I love Christians. We're some of the most authentic people around because we're the ones who look at our lives and go like, oh, bro, it's a mess. It's a mess, but I got Jesus and he's helping me fix it up. Oh my goodness. I don't have it all figured out by any measure whatsoever, but I got my Jesus. He loves me nonetheless and he's helping me day by day. The rest of the world puts out this image in front of you that they've got it all together. They're thriving, succeeded. Meanwhile, I can promise you I've met with them. They are battling the addictions, the insecurity, the mental health challenge, all that mess. And they're covering it up and hiding it from you. It's just the truth of humanity. How do I know that? Because that's most of our stories at some point. We would not be the exceptions. We are the rule. We're just the ones who have admitted it. And going, I'm not good enough to fix it for myself. I need somebody to help me do it. And mind you, by the way, he did help me do it. It's done and I'm walking in freedom like I've never experienced before. You want me to be ashamed about that? Do not be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus. Own it. Paul says, boast in your weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It actually says, when you boast in your weaknesses, the power of God rests upon you. Do you understand that? When you boast in your weakness, the power of the almighty creator God rests upon you. That's what Paul says in Romans 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for all men, first to the Jew. And then to the Greek. I'm not ashamed that I get to experience the power of God in my life. I'm not embarrassed by that. Are you kidding me? I need that. In my marriage, in my parenting, in my relationships, in my friend groups, and my calling and my purpose all speak to being something I wasn't when I was chasing the things of the world. I'm walking in a degree of freedom and of health and of godliness and of righteousness that I wasn't when I thought I was the best decision maker in my life. I've surrendered it. I've laid it down. I've trusted God in his word. I've course corrected. I've conformed myself as best as I can. And I'm continuing day by day into the image of Christ. And he is rewarding and redeeming and blessing me in ways that other people wish they could have a marriage like mine. I'm not afraid to boast about that. I really am not. Because my marriage is a testimony to the world about the goodness of my God. I'm not ashamed about that. I promise you, they want, they want what I've got. I'm not going to, Jesus says, why, why, if you have a light, if you have a light, why do you put it under a basket? Why do you do that? You are the light of the world, a city on a hill. We ought not be ashamed of who we are or what we've been called to be. You're a light, fan it into flame and burn bright. That's what you do. And let me just tell you, if I haven't told you, you are a light to the world. Your life is a light unto the world. Let that joint burn. Sorry, I had to say, okay. All right, my my last thought, my last thought. Paul says, don't be ashamed of the gospel and don't be ashamed of me, but share in the suffering. I was really struck by this thought when I realized that our shame and our suffering are connected. I was thinking, what do we suffer for the gospel? Government is not locking us up. We're not being hunted in the streets. What do we suffer for the gospel? What do we suffer? Then I thought, well, why are we ashamed to do all those things I mentioned? Why don't we? Why aren't we bold about the church we believe in, the God who's healed us and redeemed us? Why aren't we bold in those places? 
And it all comes back to fear. Our version of experiencing suffering is experiencing rejection. That's your suffering. Thank God that's all it is. That you might be rejected by men. I don't mean to minimize it. Jesus also says, like, you've got to hate your brother and your sister and your mother and your father. Matter of fact, you've got to hate your own life if you want to be my disciple. So there is a real cost to following Jesus. I'm not saying there's not. There is a real cost that comes with following Jesus that some relationships that you had before, you won't have now. That's a cost. And I know there's a pain with that. I, I'm, yes, there is. And that is true. But why do we not do the things that God commands us to do? to extend the kingdom of God and to take this gospel to places where people need it so they can experience the healing that we've experienced is because if I do, they might think of me less. They might say no. I might not get invited to lunch anymore. I might lose that friend. I might, I might, I might, I might. You rack your brain with potential truths. But what do we do, class, when we're faced with a potential truth? We fight it with an absolute one. Come on, somebody's been listening. If we get rejected, we remember 2 Corinthians says, I've got the ministry of reconciliation on my life. If it seems impossible, we remember that God said, is anything impossible for me? No, no, no. In Jeremiah, that's what he says. Is there any relationship that my God can't reconcile? And when we are afraid of the rejection of men, that men might think less of you, they might not accept you, they might not embrace you the way you wanted to be embraced, you remember the absolute truth that neither life nor death, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We remember that although we were hostile to God, he presents us to himself holy and blameless and beyond reproach. We remember our suffering might be that we might get rejected, but you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. God did not give you a spirit of bondage to fear. So if you're suffering as I'm afraid of what might happen to me, what might be thought of, of me, remember that fear did not come from God. He did not give you a spirit of bondage to fear, but a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, why, whereby by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer. What is our suffering? It's the fear of rejection. But God did not give us a spirit to be bound to fear of being rejected. He gave us a spirit of adoptions as sons and as daughters into his family. And he made you a co-heir with Christ, that that which he gives to Christ, he gives to you. Provided that you boldly encounter the suffering that you need. Do you see how the dog eats the tail? You can suffer by being afraid of being rejected, but you're not rejected by God. You're accepted by God eternally and unconditionally. 
and you're loved by him and you get everything that Jesus gets as long as you suffer, but your suffering is that you're afraid of being, do you see? There's not really even a problem for you to have in this. All you have to do is embrace and receive your identity and your adoption as a son and a daughter of God. And when you fully realize and accept that, you begin walking in your purpose. Because Paul says, even in this passage, you can look back at it. He says the reason that he suffers is because he is called and appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. His purpose is tied to the gospel, which is why he's willing to suffer for it. Let me tell you what, your purpose is tied to the gospel as well. 100%. You would not be who you are today without it. So what do we do? We remember the holy calling to which God has called us to. Out of darkness, into light. The good gift that he's given us. The gift of our salvation. The good deposit that he's placed in our soul. The church or the community or the family or whatever it is. The gifts that he's given you. You fan it into flame. You take action. You remind yourself every day you are a child of God with purpose on this earth. You are not a waste of space. You are not a mistake. You are intentional. You are a tool in God's workshop to form this place into something it could not be without you. You fan it into flame and you fight the fear when it comes up against you. And when the things about what if or could be come, you stand on the absolute truth of Almighty God and you move forward, like Paul says, in faith and in love, not being ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to bring salvation to all men, to all men, to all of us. The gospel is available to all of us, so I'm not going to be ashamed by it. Balance, elbow, extension, follow through. Fan my flame, fight the fear, don't be ashamed. Every day I wake up, I'm gonna fan my flame today. God, I'm waking up on purpose for you. Yeah, but what if it goes wrong? No, 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 I'm not listening to the what ifs. God, you put me here on purpose in this job for a reason. There's hurting people there too. Maybe I can pray for them today. Maybe I can minister hope to them today. Maybe I can just be a good ear. Well, what if they don't want your prayer? I'm not listening to the what ifs. God, you put me here. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And the word says that the Holy Spirit will guard that deposit within you. He'll guard it. And that which God has given you, he will preserve for you. Amen? Amen. Follow the pattern. Lord God, we love you. And we thank you for a word that can form us and shape us. Your scripture, God, these words that Paul writes that can bring healing and can bring freedom to us, that bring direction, that bring clarity to why we're here and what we're doing. God, forgive us who have felt like we don't have a purpose and we don't have a gift and we don't have a calling and we don't have any part of, of what, God, forgive us. We have thought so small of you. You know, church, when you, when you think ill of yourself, you're not thinking ill of yourself, you're thinking ill of the God who made you. And when you speak poorly of yourself, you're speaking poorly of the God who made you. So, Father, we repent of mindsets that call you small and call you a God who makes mistakes. Mindsets that say your purposes are not good enough for us. 
Forgive us. Show us the gifts. Let the embers in this room burn bright for the glory of God and for the good of man. We speak against the spirit of fear that comes to take our joy, to take our vision, to kill our gifts. In the name of Jesus, we say no. You have no authority in our ears or in our minds to speak lies over us. No. In the name of Jesus, go. For God, we are not ashamed of how good you are. We are not ashamed of how kind you are. We're not ashamed of how merciful you are or how gracious you are. God, we're not ashamed that we are broken, but you've made us whole. God, I'm not ashamed that I was in bondage, but you set me free. I'm not ashamed of that. And for when we have been, Lord, we repent. As though the gifts you've given us weren't good enough. Forgive us and make us bold, as bold as lions in this place to be who you made us to be, to stand in the purpose of God in our lives, the calling that you have given us, the high calling to be the church of Jesus Christ in this nation. Let us rise to that, Lord, boldly, unafraid, unashamed, confident, not in ourselves, but the God who goes before us, who stands behind us and dwells with us every minute of every day. God, we glorify you in this place. We worship you. We love you. Use us. Use us. And guard what has been deposited within us, Father, that it might come to the, its fulfillment of what you've purposed it for. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.